You should be telling your parents, I'm ready to have sex. And you should, your parents should be finding you a safe space to do so. And then you should be coming back and you should give your kid a giant hug. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hotmovies.com has long been an ethical and affordable place to hashtag pay for some of your porn. Now with Hot Movies Select, customers gain access to unlimited viewings of tens of thousands of additional films from all their favorite studios for the low, low price of $24.95. Visit HotMovies.com, click Select Unlimited, and use promo code MANHOR at checkout so they know who sent you. It's the vibrator that has no equal. And now, Motor Bunny offers their thrusting sex machine, the Motor Bunny Buck. Enjoy a fan whore discount at manwhorepod.com slash motorbunny or use promo code manwhore at checkout. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Manwhore Podcast. What's up, you fan whores? What's up, you whoreheads? Hey, this is Billy Proceed, and you are listening to the Man Whore Podcast. Welcome, welcome if you're new. Hey, welcome back if you're not. This week on the show, we have got on child psychiatrist Dr. Leah Lease. She's got a book out now called No Shame, Real Talk With Your Kids About Sex, Self-Confidence, and Healthy Relationships. And I'm really excited to share my conversation with her in a little bit. But first, you know, my dad calls me over the weekend to talk about these alleged travel plans we have uh, in January. The Grateful Dead are playing some shows, like some sort of three-day festival in Cancun. And my dad back in like March asked if I wanted to go to that. And I was like, yeah, sure. It sounds fun. But like I didn't put it in my calendar. I, I can't remember. I haven't really put stuff in my calendar more than a couple months in advance. Sort of a habit I formed over the last year and a half. I don't know. Call it a call it a disappointment self defense mechanism. <laughs> and so my dad calls me and he's talking about like, yeah, you know, let's talk about January. And I'm like, what's a January? What are you talking about? You don't know we're going. Like I think we all hope that I'll, we'll get to go. Remember the last time we made plans collectively. And then everybody all at the same time had them canceled. Yeah, why don't you talk to me in December, Dad, and we can discuss it as a realistic possibility. But it'll be cool because, uh, you know, my dad, uh, when my dad was around my age, he took his father to Italy and they had like some sort of whirlwind trip over there. Uh, allegedly so good that, you know, they, they, <laughs> they got kicked out of the country by the cops. My dad and my grandpa, who, who died back in, in March, they got really wasted Probably every night, but on this one of these particular wasted evenings in in Rome, uh, they they got really drunk and then they went into the Trevi Fountain, which is really not something you should do. It's a very old and historic and two drunk American goombas were in there splashing around, being loud and boisterous. And uh, the cops got called on them. And then my dad and my grandpa got fucking arrested by the Italian police or the Rome police or whatever. And they effectively gave them like two choices. They were like, we can press these charges and we're going to put you in jail or you can go back to America. Of course, I don't know what the truth of that story is because my dad's like kind of a tall tailor, but my dad also lives like an absurd life, kind of like father, like son. And I've, as I've been learning over the last few months, like, uh, you know, also apparently like Grandpa Joe, uh, you know. We, we are, I apparently come from a line of men who don't give a fuck and live absurd lives uh, full of, uh, full of adventure, although apparently my adventures have included way less, less pants wearing than my forefathers, but that's okay. So any of the tall tales my dad tells are very plausible and yet oftentimes could also just be total embellishment, which has given me this weird fucked up relationship with the concept of an objective truth, with the with the idea of like what's real. Because like my dad can say he dated a little Kim and like I don't know if that means my dad and little Kim were like going steady if they had dinner one time or if like my dad and little Kim had a one night stand. But somewhere in the nugget of the truth is the absurd reality already that like my dad had some sort of personal relationship with Lil' Kim. 
I will tell you a future plan that I have been excited about. Man, whore, con. Oh, 2021, it's finally happening. Folks, there is one room left in the cabin, in the Airbnb for ManwhoreCon in upstate New York. Uh, it features two queen-size beds, so two friends could rent the room. A couple and a friend, a couple of couples, however y'all want to splice and dice it. If several of y'all want to go in on a room together, uh, start chit-chatting, start talking, and get back to me. Because we would love to see you in August. Uh, so shoot me an email if you want to ask any questions or make a reservation. Uh, also, folks, the Fan Whore Fantasy Football League are, is still looking for members. We're bringing it back after taking last year off for COVID. We do a $30 league. It's 10 to 12 teams, depending on interest. And we're going to draft in mid to late August. So shoot me an email if you'd like to reserve a spot. Uh, and you can shoot me an email, manwhorepod at gmail.com. Folks, uh, you know, so many of you ask me like in DMs and such, hey, what's your email address? It's, you know, it's always in the show notes. Every episode right there, you'll see links to all of my social media. You'll see my email addy. You'll see a link to our Discord server, the Champagne Room. You'll see it all. Although one thing you won't see is uh, is this next email. Saw a lot of mixed reactions about last week's guest, dating coach Connell Barrett. There was some chit chatter about it. Uh, you know, some positive and some negative chatter about it in on the Discord server. Uh, and then I got this email from Liz. She writes, hi, Billy. First, I love your podcast. Uh, you are an amazing interviewer and have an authentic humility and down-to-earth approach, which belies your actually very sophisticated thinking. A charming combination. Sweet. She's not mad at me, it appears. Um, I appreciate that you interview a variety of folks and that you don't necessarily agree with all of your guests. You acknowledge that your most recent guest overused male-female stereotypes, and that was important, but you could have gone further. I wish you had pushed him back more, to be honest. The jackass is actually teaching men to approach random women in parks and at stores? How obnoxious. And also totally unnecessary in an era of online dating. Thankfully, you schooled him about why that's fucked. He seemed to think men are just scared, when these days it seems most men have been told it's a bad fucking idea. They're just being respectful. What an idiot. It was also funny to me how he kept talking about going in for the kiss and how to deal with rejection. And you were like, I ask, which was a massive revelation to him. Again, what a massive idiot. He treated women like trophies and talked about dating as if it were a game with the biggest prize being the hottest chick, which was so gross. Also, what a psychopath. How could he have thought making racist jokes was legit no matter who told him to? He lives his life using strategies. Even authenticity is a strategy in his game. Wow. The sexist stereotypes were just flying too. This dude is a massive throwback. Thank God most men are past where this jackass is. If this clown can make money offering dudes dating advice, then you can too. And I would a thousand percent prefer you were doing it. Just saying, Billy, your insights too often make me swoon a bit. Thanks for the great show, Liz. Oh, wow. Uh, that I, uh, I'm tempted to respond in piece by piece here, but my opinion was not asked for, and uh, I do not feel like ardently defending. <laughs> I do want to throw out there, just there was a lot of hyperbole of what a psychopath, what a, a massive idiot language like that. I just want to remind you that uh, for a decent chunk of, most of our lives, most of us did not know most things. I mean, just a few years ago, I was like arguing and ranting about the ridiculousness of they, them pronouns. We get new information. We learn new things. We hopefully develop new opinions on those things with the new information. None of us just get to flip on a sex positive switch or listen to a few Dan Savage episodes and now we get it. I don't fully get it. There's still shit y'all probably hear me say that like I will that will possibly years later look back on and go, ooh, ah, oh, I cared that much about demisexual pride flags. Oh. Anyways, aside from that, thank you for sharing your feedback about uh, last week's episode with uh, our guest dating coach, Connell Barrett. And uh, if you missed last week's episode, episode 387, uh, maybe scroll on back, make sure to add it to your queue. 
And if this is your first time listening to the Man Over Podcast, I do invite you to click that follow button, that subscribe button, whichever podcast app you're using, whatever makes sure that you're not going to miss uh, future episodes of the Man Whore Podcast. Click that button while you're at it. If you can leave me like five, six, 17 stars, whatever the maximum on the system is, that'd be great. All right, let's do a fan whore appreciation moment real quick. Okay. This week's fan whore appreciation moment is going out to Tom Woodland, who I'm, you know, I'm not sure if you are on Twitter at TomTomWoodland, but if you are, then your last tweet was on January 6th, 2016. And the tweet was 2016 is where I'm about to grow up. And, uh, you know, I, I saw that. And I was just like, I hope he did. And you know what? Supporting independent content creators, very adult thing, very grown-up thing to do. So way to go, Tom Woodland. Thank you for supporting the Man Whore Podcast on Patreon. Yeah. And you too can support the Man Whore Podcast and receive a slew of great rewards in the process is the best way you can support this show. All you have to do to join is head on over to patreon.com slash Podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Man Whore Podcast. Other ways you can support the show, as always, is support our sponsors. Use promo codes. Use those special URLs. Those very much help. If you want to support the podcast, but you also want to see my dick in the process, you can check that out on OnlyFans at OnlyFans.com slash Billy. And if you head on over to the Man Whore Podcast Facebook fan page, you will find our merch store where you can load up on some goodies like buttons and stickers panties and shirts oh my links to any and all that is always in the show notes folks this week's guest is dr leah liss uh this is our second uh, attempted recording Connell isn't the only uh virtual recording that has has had technical errors we tried doing virtual uh earlier this year pre-vaccinations and uh we had a fantastic conversation super fun super cool and we hit stop, and then I'm trying to instruct her on like how to export the file and send it to me. And then she's like, oh, it didn't record. She said it so nonchalantly as if it was like no big deal. Oh, it didn't record. <laughs> that awesome conversation I just had with the tequila of psychiatrists. It's no. <laughs> so we, uh, so, but she did invite me out to Long Island uh, to her beautiful home, and, and we recorded out in her backyard. and. And then after we were done recording, she took me out on the boat. Yeah. I got to like chill out on, on the Long Island Sound on her boat for like an hour and a half, drinking boxed wine and talking sex positivity and sexual shame. Cause uh yes, I do this in my free time, this is the shit I still nerd out on. Like when I'm not doing a podcast, I'm I'm still talking about sex and dating and just sprinkle a few Kevin Smith quotes in between. That's what it's like to probably have a conversation with me in the day to day. And I'm excited to share my conversation right now with you, recorded this time with Dr. Leah Liss. The Man War Podcast is sponsored by HotMovies.com. I was like, there's something wrong with the way we pay for porn online. Like, yeah, I understand monthly membership subscriptions when you have like one or two things you really dig in a porn and you're like, that's what I need. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm kind of like variety is the spice of life. I like having access to a little bit of everything. Hotmovies.com is democratizing porn. You choose where you use your minute. They're not going to make you pay for a whole porno if you're not going to watch the whole porno. Sometimes you only need two or three minutes. And to help sweeten the pot, HotMovies.com has given all Man Whore Podcast listeners 20 free minutes on top of any package you sign up for when you use promo code MANHOR at checkout. Plus, you know, hey, it lets them know who sent you. And hey, if you are one of those people who enjoys a good monthly subscription and unlimited access to content, they've got you covered there too. They've got the Hot Movies Select Unlimited plan for $24.95 a month. Now let's get to the show. I mean, I think I'm just surprised by how many people who read it were like, oh my God, it's such common sense. But it gave me finally permission to do the things that I knew in my heart were right. And I think uh, a lot of the book came from obviously my experience as a psychiatrist, but also my instincts as a mother and and from what I just know based on connection with my ancestors before me, like has got to be okay. Things like 
being naked with your kids. Um, well, how can that be wrong? Like, mm. you know, how can anyone ever say that that's the wrong thing to do? There are some cultures where they never put on clothes. The kids aren't damaged because of it. So I just, I just think about, you know, uh, how people let, came before us and how they would react to nudity or how they would react to boundaries and things like you know, people lived in huts where they had to have sex in front of their children because there was no place else to go. There's another room. Their children weren't scarred by it. They you have know? A, a five bedroom joint in the Hamptons. They <laughs> yeah. were like, no, we have the hut. <laughs> yeah. This is it. The kids didn't grow up completely scarred from seeing their kids have sex. So if your kids walk in on you having sex, are you going to lie to them and say you're wrestling? You know, that's absurd, you know? And so a lot of it came from just intuition about how people would live and ancestors and how healthy living is. And so part of it was just, you know, using common sense, but part of it was my experience as a clinician and part of it was all the research I did on sex education in other cultures. I feel like a lot of the common sense with the shame is just like, well, why is that shameful? And then they go like, well, it's just common sense. It's shameful. Why? And they have no why. And it's like, okay, well, then how about what if nudity was not this crazy idea? Then would all this other stuff make sense? It's like, oh, yeah, then I guess if nudity is not a big deal, then why wouldn't like a family go to a naturist resort or something like that. You know? Well, a lot of families do, you know, yeah. and there's, there's it's a big one in Jersey. I think. Yeah. There's, yeah. Com, you know, kind of nudist colonies all over the world and, you know, with families and they're all absolutely normal people and they're fine. The kids are fine. Like, you know, have there's you gone to one of those like uh, resorts. I have never been to one, but I did study uh, um, an open uh, relationship. Uh, it's called Tamara. Okay. It's in, uh, it's in Portugal. And, um, I think it's Portugal or Spain. I have to look, but I think it's Portugal. And um, and I really was really blown away by how they raise children and their constructs. And they're not nudists, but um, they don't really, they practice consensual non-monogamy. Mm-hmm. And and what were you so fascinated by and, and how it affected the kids or didn't affect the kids? I thought the kids were uh, incredibly well taken care of. They had a children's school, it was called. And um, all the kids were put into the school and they have a children's home. So when the parents were working or if the children just wanted a break from their parents, they just went to live in this like like kind of communal home that any kid could go to mm. that were run. You know, each parents would take shifts in it. Um, it was also the same place they sent the kids for daycare. And then once a month they had parenting meetings where all the parents would get together and speak about the issues with the children and things like fascinating things like for sexual initiation for a young girl or boy mm. they would tell the community when they felt ready to have uh, sexual initiation and they would pick someone in the community to share that with and that person usually is quite flattered they didn't necessarily have to be in a relationship and they kind of send them off to to have sex and then they would come back into the community and they would have a party. So it was like a totally different like construct. What? So like like the town has a party when you like you lose your virginity? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Why don't we do that? I think it's amazing. <laughs> you know, you should be telling your parent. Well, that's why I say you should be telling your parents I'm ready to have sex and you should your parents should be finding you a safe space to do so and then you should be coming back and you should give your kid a giant hug. And it sounds like they pick someone maybe based off of like, oh yeah, no, we know Jess pretty safe and you know, yeah, she didn't come back crying last <laughs> time, so it seems okay. Yeah. That sounds like an interesting way to do it. Well, sometimes it's, you know, they're in a relationship because they're in love and that's very accepted. And sometimes it's just they want to they want to have sex and explore. So it doesn't have to be that way for this community. Um, but, you know, it's a, just a different approach. And did any of this study, like in studying them, did you see that the kids had any sort of like the teenagers, they have a better understanding of their body or sexuality or something like Well, they didn't like have any higher rate of STDs or, you know, they didn't have, you know, they just, they had a more, obviously a much more um, profound sense of intimacy and love and connection within the the elders of their community amongst the, their partners. It was, it was a very like evolved situation where everything was talked about, uh-huh. you know, none of it was under cloaks you know cloaks and and they didn't have a lot of shame compared to what we have i mean they're talk so openly about sex and it's very interesting how everything evolves because the the the, the lovely man i spoke to had uh uh three women in the community which he had babies with children with and two of which he lived with and one of which lived separately but they raised them all very collaboratively and this and this isn't like a native like no this community this, it's just no a this community is, in portugal yeah, it's like Europeans, Americans, all different. It's just a open 
community. Incredible. That I talked about, and they they breastfeed each other's children. It's kind of it's wild. It's really cool. A real radical different way of doing things. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, it's a good time to say right now. I'm here again with a uh, Dr. Leah Lees, uh, aka the Shameless Psychiatrist, or aka according to my notes from our our failed recording session, the Tequila of Psychiatrists. <laughs> I have a lot of fun notes from, apparently from from last time. I also wrote at the top of my page. I showed her. I said uh, it just said, "Yo, this lady seems mad cool." <laughs> so like I showed up being like, "Oh yeah, no, this is gonna be fun." I remember <laughs> that being a good time. Not just any tequila, the Casa Dragones of psychiatrists. My favorite tequila. It's such a good tequila. Like it's clearly <laughs> too expensive for me to even know it exists. <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> um, so you work. Uh, you you work primarily with kids as a psychiatrist, and uh, you talk a lot about sexual shame. You have a crazy good Instagram. Like if people mm-hmm. are love a good Instagram page with a pretty feed that like you know is co- color coordinated and everything. Gotta check, gotta check this out. Um, but yeah, you post a lot about childhood sexuality on your your Instagram. What caused you to start doing that without the fear of being called some kind of, you know, perv or child yeah, sex trafficking perv? I don't know, pizza places, whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Pizzagate. <laughs> um, I, you know, have been so passionate about mental health since 15 years old. I am. I would say borderline on obsessed with my job. I just love it. It's a calling. And um, through my work at St. Vincent's with all kinds of alternative uh, sexual identities and genders and constructs and parents, I uh, decided that there was just so much shame that mm-hmm. went into um, uh, people's feelings about their sexuality and, um, and also into parenting. If you weren't you know the the typical normal walk well you know nuclear family that i just thought well that doesn't make any sense because a good parent is a good parent and we have to stop judging all parents for how they ended up having their children single parents or you know whatever it may be so i decided i was going to develop um a paradigm around thinking around sexuality in our in our country and i wanted to go from micro which means treating patient to patient to macro and so i wrote the book no shame you know real is talk. that what writing a book is called macro is that, is that... <laughs> like you know instead of one and one one patient one patient you know i was gonna do like a high level try to reach like a lot of people so then i wrote the book no shame real talk with your kids about sex self-confidence and healthy relationships and then i've been like like blogging a ton about whatever parents seem to be interested in now. And I'm even now starting more of a uh, educational platform for around shame for now millennials. And I really want to think through marital paradigms. And so I'm just loving it. Do you now do you wouldn't consider that you're doing sex ed as much as you're kind of like taking away shame from folks who are learning more about sexuality. And exactly. I mean, I started with, you know, this idea of sex ed, but quickly I realized that it wasn't about sex. It was about shame. So whether it be about your body or about, you know, societal paradigms that repress us and keep us from, you know, uh, living our best authentic lives to whatever it is, but it started with a parenting book. What do you think is one of like the introductions to shame that yeah. parents instill on kids? Because right, kids don't pop out and go and have shame. Like it's not a natural thing we have, right? You only have shame when you start to realize the societal constructs that most people believe in, and then you realize you don't fit that mold. Like in Sparta, like they kill people. Like if you weren't <laughs> killing people, you'd be shamed. It's like I haven't my 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 quotas down <laughs> exactly. in May. You know, I gotta I gotta murder somebody. But it's like here we would say don't do that. So yeah. you should have shame when you do the murders so. yes and shame is there to in order to keep society i mean it's it's an emotion that was biologically evolved to keep us from uh going too far outside of um our community constructs so that way there was safety in numbers so in our brain you know we developed shame so we would stick to the societal constructs that um that that your community believes in so therefore we could be a cohesive unit but a lot of times that goes um in in a direction it really doesn't need to go and causes the shame can cause depression and the shame can cause you know a lot of other issues you know poor self-esteem and things we don't want so most of shame is not very helpful well what are some of the things that were some like miss i'm sure a lot of parents don't I hope a lot of parents don't want to instill sexual shame in their kids. But what are some of like the early acts? Of, what are some of the missteps they they make in the beginning that kind of 
plant the seeds for it. Well, a lot of the shame uh, around early shame comes like from shaming masturbation. Mm -hmm. Um, If they see a little boy or a girl, you know, reach down and play with their genitals, you know, they'll say, don't do that. Or, you know, and they never really give them any explanation and, um, or they, you know, they'll push their hands away, things like that. Instead of just saying, you know, you know, oh, that's for you to do it when you're alone, yeah. you know, but it feels really good. It's very pleasurable, but you should do it while, when you're alone. Um, so already planting the seeds about pleasure. Um, uh, I feel like that's where we get, we run into this, the common sense university stuff. Cause someone would be like, but then you're telling your kid it's okay to masturbate. And we're like, yeah. And they're like, that's what I it doesn't compute. You know, yeah, <laughs> because they're still dealing with their shame. Yeah, because <laughs> masturbation is the foundation of sexual pleasure, mm-hmm. and it's something that, as a child, you can do um, on your own very safely without any risks of predatory behavior, and it sets up the foundation for later sexual pleasure, which is what we want. We want our children to grow up to have enormous sexual pleasure, because that's also the foundation for intimacy. And again, a lot of these, a lot, I think, again, the common sense university PhD students mm-hmm. would say like why would i want my child to have sexual pleasure and they forget that their kid will grow up to be an adult and then it's like do you really want your adult kid to like not come like <laughs> that yeah, that sounds really mean I know. like okay like it's fine if you don't want to think about like mm. you know a 12 year old kid coming but like think about your future kid don't yeah. you want to set them up for sexual success well not just that but if you're talking about a girl right mm-hmm. um you know we have this clitoris which is you know as big as a penis on the inside we're all full of these amazing nerves and um, love a gal with a big internal clitoris (laughs) exactly and you know that that magic button you know um uh, it sets out the foundation of their sexual pleasure and so later on when they enter into their uh, sexual relationships with a man or, or woman, whoever they choose, um, if they don't understand how to pl- please themselves, uh, oftentimes they can experience pretty intense pain. And that could cause some serious psychological trauma of anyone who's like disparunian other, you know, women who have these issues. And I think a lot of that comes from the lack of understanding of masturbation or the fear of masturbation. Because that sets up the stage of of not having that those problems later on sexual yeah. serious sexual problems. Yeah, and I think there's something about. I mean, like I remember my dad. I have a distinct memory of like my dad catching me masturbating once. Now, granted, it was on the family computer in the living room. So, <laughs> I mean, granted, it was like one a.m. But also, I should know my dad snacks at night, and I <laughs> should not do that there. Um, but the, he wasn't yelling at me like, "Ah, what are you doing? You're not supposed to do that here." He was throwing in the. My dad was like a Lothario as a high school student. So, and he had this kid who like did not even know how to talk to girls, you know. So he looks at me, he catches me doing it. He's like, eh, that's what's uh, uh, you're supposed to get a girl to do that for you. What are you doing? Come on, man, stop that. No, you're supposed to get a chick because that's his own fucked upness. Yeah. But then to me, I'm like, oh, so like, oh, if I jerk off, that's a failure. Uh, like, you know, it's like, oh, someone else was supposed to. Um, how do parents who are dealing with their own sexual shame, like, are they even in a position where they can responsibly, like, you know, deal with their kid. Um, let me rephrase that differently. Are they in a place where they can actually uh, help prevent instilling shame to their kid if they haven't dealt with their own sexual shame? Well, no, but which is, you know, I'm, I'm actually perfect. You said that because I'm starting an educational platform and a webinar that's called Owning Your Sexual Story. Mm-hmm. And the point of that is for parents who have a lot of sexual shame to sort of process that shame so they can pass down intergenerational wisdom, not trauma. Through So it's through the process of owning your own shame. Mm-hmm. Can you really be that wise Yoda that your kid needs you to be. And that requires you working on yourself. And that can be really scary and (laughs) freaky because we all internalize so much shame as teenagers. But if you go through the process of looking at it and, you know, taking those skeletons, pull them out of the box and just go, boo, you know, and watching them run away, you really can, uh, you really can be what your child needs instead of just being the shame bucket. There's also something like it's a humility in, in accepting like, I cannot be the Yoda for this situation and passing along better resources to the kid. Cause like my dad loves to be the Yoda of any situation, even if he has exactly 0% knowledge <laughs> in the field. He, Billy Sr., if he can figure out an opinion to have, loves to give you an opinion and say, like, no, this is what fathers do. I tell you the thing. I don't know if it makes sense, but like, you just listen to me. And, um, I don't know. It's just fascinating. Cause like he, he was, he was never in a position to do that. I remember when he came in to give me a talk, like the talk. It was very short. It was pretty much just like, yeah, use a condom. 
it was a combination of him trying to just get the words to use a condom out and me trying to say, Dad, this is so irrelevant because no girl will talk to me. Yeah, and I think, you know, reading the book and getting some sex ed information is good, but it's only as good as your own ability to relay the information without turning red or freaking out or your mm-hmm. kid being like, this is so painful, I'd rather die than listen to you for one more second, which is what most kids do when the, ki- the parents are so awkward and uncomfortable with it. So which is why I really recommend you start really young mm-hmm. and then the sex talks be ongoing and then therefore you start to really you know get used to it it's like you know stage fright it's like sex ed fright you know you get over your sex ed fright did you find it really easy to do with your children oh yeah you can they were really you know were they were youngsters i mean i i have to laugh because they just started at my daughter's school uh sex ed i forgot what they're calling it and um and 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 I'm like, well, you already know all that stuff, so just make sure you let all the kids know everything you already know. <laughs> like, Raise your hand on class, correct the teacher. <laughs> and and I got annoyed because they told me that actually, teacher, yeah, Miss Gagliola, no, that's a no, it's a it's a vulva, that's not the vagina. I know. Like- <laughs> I was like. You know, make sure they don't use vulva. I mean, they don't use vagina, and they, you know, you t- you tell them what the difference between labia and vulva is, and you know all the other things you know. And she's like, "Mom, don't you know that would be so embarrassing if I started educating everybody?" I'm like, "No, own that. It's your mom. You'll be the coolest kid <laughs> in the class." And then I got annoyed because they told me they're separating the boys and the girls. I said, why are you separating the boys and the girls? I was like, what can the boys know that the girls can't know are opposite? And he said, honestly, it's not for that. She's like, we do it because the boys get so embarrassed they can't handle it. And they just laugh and go crazy with the girls around. So the class just becomes like a large, you know, bunch of monkeys in the barrel. So that's why we have to separate them because the boys can't handle it. (laughs) (laughs) But like, did it come so naturally to you? Like when with like your first child? like when it was okay we're it's time to start doing these talks like did you feel like you nailed it the first time did you learn from the first talk to then for the next kid to have a better talk yeah well i read them the i I read a bunch of books books are a great way to you know to them sex is a funny word it's not historic um when i was pregnant with um, my second child my first child got the whole lesson on how babies were made and um so you know we went through every month like what was happening with the baby's you know, we talk, and I'm also really into this idea of like, there's so many ways to read a, raise a family. So they know all about IVF, they know all about IUI, they know all about surrogacy and how two male parents have a baby, how two female parents have a baby, you know, adoption. I mean, mm. I, they know all of stuff because, and I even try to, like, if I have a, like, I have a really good friend who's a single sex female, and I went through the whole story of how the baby was conceived. It's a great story. So it's an interesting story. It's a modern age story. Is it a story you would care to share? Sure. I mean, they, they, you know, um, I won't use her real name. We'll call her Jennifer, but Jennifer, uh, married, uh, married Rose and Jennifer and Rose put, take t- took a bunch of eggs out, found a sperm donor on California Cairo Bank, uh, fertilized the eggs, had five embryos, and they did not know who the mom or, or technically the dad because it's some sperm donor. Mm. And then they proceeded to... Wait, so the one had, gets all like basically three parentals are kind of mixing the one so to speak so it's it's two moms two eggs and one sperm right and so they had five embryos which means fertilized eggs and then they they did them by order of how healthy the embryos were not knowing who the mom was so um first um jennifer carried the first and uh and then um they had a couple miscarriages and rose carried the second but they still don't know who technically the mom genetically is. yeah oh that's really interesting but they so you can say we don't know who the like the genetically the mom's going to be but we can pick who's going to carry mm-hmm. wow learn new things every day yeah it's, it's an awesome <laughs> so they're just about to have their second and um so we don't know who the mom is or technically the dad because mm-hmm. it's from a sperm bank but it's the same father right. so, so i think a really common concern or question even among like sex positive parents who who want to do the best they can to not instill shame but don't know, like, the, le- the the concept of age appropriateness often comes up when we talk about sex ed and kids. What's your stance on age appropriateness if it's, if it exists and if it does? Like, what's a good way to parse that out? Yeah, it's layering. You have to layer the, the, the talk. So it really starts with um, uh, naming the body parts correctly, talking about masturbation, and then talking about what I call body autonomy, which means who gets to touch you. And in what circumstance? Mm. So the privates, what's in the private area, nipples, buttocks, anus, you know, labia, 
penis, scrotum, and those are the privates. And those areas are off limit to everyone except for me, you, you know, the other parent, the doctor. And if anyone touches in those areas, I need to know immediately. Mm-hmm. And that's like the- Like Uncle Tony? <laughs> no, no, sorry, sorry, Coach Tony. I didn't want to go too real with an uncle. I, I, I thought I'd go coach. But uncle came out. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. Do I have to journal or am I just doing bad improv? Well, you better, you better join my <laughs> webinar. I'm a little worried for you. <laughs> Uh, but the, the idea of like, yeah, who touches you? Why the hugs? The yeah. idea of you can turn down a hug. Yes, exactly. Which you really want to offend a grandparent. Yeah. Tell them you can't hug them <laughs> and be seven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and watch them lose their minds. <laughs> Did yeah. a seven-year-old just tell me what I couldn't do? Yeah. <laughs> and then the seven-year-old's like, that's right. Yeah, that's my body. And I call it the bubble trick. Like only you, yeah. you have to invite people to come into your body bubble. And that's like very young you know, young stages of sex ed. And then you move up the line to biology, how babies are born, how they're made. Um, and then you go to now, then you start like the tween era, start talking about, you know, sexual intimacy, pleasure, mm. and sexual consent, and sexual safety. But it's not one talk, you can see how this grows. And you set that foundation and framework early, but then as the years go by, you fill in more and more and more information. Um, until you get to the point where uh, hopefully you're just buddies and you can just like talk about, you know, <laughs> what's going on. Uh, but, you know, it, it gets it, it gets easier and easier the more you talk about it. You're kind of setting if you do the groundwork right, you can build a new common sense for your kid. Mm-hmm. Because if uh, I control who hugs me and doesn't hug, if no one's entitled to a hug for me, then surely no one's entitled to, most people are entitled to sex from me. No, right? yeah, because like I won't. I I control the hugs. Why wouldn't I also control the sex? But if they never get given that that baseline, then the common sense might be like, ah, oh, I kind of owe this person that or this. I mean, I hope my girls are now in eleven. You know, get to the age where you know somebody's hitting on them, and they're very specific about what kind of touch they want. Yeah. like I'll go on a date with you, but this is going to be a waste up date. I look right off the bat. Like I love doing that as an adult. Oh, like yeah, I met up with someone yesterday. Mm-hmm. We took PIV sex off the table, and I I don't know why I ever have to. I don't think I have to say this, but it's like when you take PIV off the table, anal's usually off the table. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people are like, I like to do anal with vaginal. That's you do you boo boo. I'm speaking broadly, but we took PIV off the table in part because she had she was a little nervous because she she felt comfortable doing like a more just like a come over. Let's. Basically, we wanted to like make more creative space. So we'd like, let's take PIV off table. What kind of a sexual playtime will we have? We had like an accidental five hour, like afternoon play date, just like rolling around, making out, mm. touching each other, you doing this, doing that. Um, and it was way more fun when we took it off the table. And now it's like, this is a, this type of date. I like how you said, like, this is a waste up date. This is a kissing only date. Um, this is a maybe I'll let you grab my boob date. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, like what a world that could be if we can just like blatantly put that out there and it's not an affront to anyone either no it's like it's you know it's the terms and condition you agree upon and i think it's beautiful because it it talks about being explicit with your needs Mm. and communication skills and i think it's so brilliant so you know you can already negotiate that when you're younger and you give kids the language to be able to discuss it Mm. um as a parent or an educator for that matter but you know what is the language like, you know, or how do you turn someone down, you know, mm-hmm. sexually? And I think you need to give kids a language to be able to turn them down. Like, you know, I think I, in the book, I line out, uh, line out every like stupid come online. Like if you don't touch me, you know, I'm going to explode or, you know, it, it's like, well, I know you could take care of that yourself yeah. or, you know, I won't be your girlfriend if, you know, I won't be your boyfriend if you don't have sex with me. But like, you know, I, I don't, All right. <laughs> you know, be like, I don't, obviously, I wouldn't want to be with you if that's your condition. You know, if you're going to blackmail me into being your girlfriend and I'm obviously too good for you. You know, <laughs> so it's like, you got to like have your like canned lines. So, because all that shit happened to me as a teenager, I heard every single one of those stupid lines mm. and I really felt guilty and shamed by them. And now I'm looking back at it being like, you just sex shamed me. Like, what? Like, why didn't I just have the language and the mm. confidence to like, be like, dude, I'm like three inches taller than you. Like, I don't need to do that. <laughs> yes. Uh, Dr. Dr. Lee is a, is a very tall woman. Um, yeah. And tower, tower, can tower over, dude. Yeah. And when I was younger, I was like walking around with my, you know, my shoulders hunched and feeling very unconfident about my sexuality. And mm. 
And what was the turning point for you to find that confidence to be able to say, shut someone down and not it was care? the it was the hundreds of rectal exams I had to do during my surgery rotation in, in medical not school. <laughs> not how I thought the answer was going to start. But OK, I'm listening. I'm definitely listening. <laughs> It's the funniest thing, but after I saw all those butts and prostates, um, uh, because I was in, so I was in medical school at the time, and I was doing my surgery rotation, and I hated surgery because I'm so tall, so the lights would be, you know, those little short surgeons. They would put the lights right on my head to see, and I'd have to hold the retractor, and I'd like literally fall over and pass out. So after like the third time I passed out, I just said to the guys, "I'm not going to be a surgeon. I'm going to be a psychiatrist. It's my calling. Is there anything else I can do yeah. to pass this?" And they said, "Yes, you can." write the chart notes and give rectal exams to everyone on the floor. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And through the process of having to negotiate this, like an obviously attractive medical student going up to these poor guys and being like, bend over, we're going to do your rectal. It, it kind of like took all the mystery out of the whole thing, like negotiating consent, anatomy, all the joke. And after that, I just, I was never afraid again. What do you think it was that that did that for you? I don't know. Just realizing how un- I was the boss in that situation and they were uh, I was in the position of power over them and they were really scared and anxious. And I realized, like, I guess it just made me feel like, oh, well, I, why would I not just take that power all the time? Like, what's so different about this than everything else in my life? So after that, I never had any fear of negotiating consent again. I don't know. Is this a bee or a fly? Just a fly. Okay, cool. I, I freak out with these. Um, do you think part of that is just like seeing so many men, scores of men yes. in this incredibly vulnerable uh, yes. position and seeing they're not as scary as I thought? Yes, exactly. Like, like they can they be were... scary. They have the capacity to be scary, but they can also be uh, some dude bent over waiting for me to put my fingers in his butt. Yeah, and their vulnerability really spoke to me. And after that, I was never scared to assert my own sexual, I and mean, not that that was sexual, but my own power over a situation. Wow. That's incredible. And then, and did you, what was, so like after you found that, what was like a noticeable shift? Like what's one situation you would find yourself in, you'd have acted that way, but then post a hundred butts, yeah. <laughs> you know, how were you handling that situation? If, if, if anything comes to mind? Um, you know, I just think after that, you know, negotiating sexual consent got very easy for me because I was just like, I'm going to tell you exactly what I want up front. You know, when I was dating, like this is going to be this kind of date. And it it was so much better after I did that. So much better. And and how were they were they responding? Oh, every time it was almost like a relief. Either if they either they wouldn't call me again because they were like, oh, I'm not going to hook up. Good riddance. In which case done. Or they were like, that's awesome. And they just made it easier, as you said, like your date the other day. Yeah. (laughs) And so, and so again, we talk about like scaling up, like from the base, like, okay, we start with this and we level up, we level up. Um, You know, is that something you got to talk with your husband about? Is that like to be like, what do we, like, I know what I think is appropriate Mm -hmm. to teach this child at this age about this topic. What what do you think is appropriate this and then do you have to kind of negotiate that out does he kind of default being like you're the doctor uh <laughs> i mean he's british so he tends to be a little more uh british yeah, yeah british he's conservative <laughs> i don't know if conservative is the right word but they don't really talk about things openly um but i have really rubbed off on him majorly and i think he now has come around to basically obviously he read my book at least i hope he did and um he has come around to believe that i'm right you know and <laughs> which i am on most things and, uh, except for decoration um he's he's way better at decoration. and uh so um he's totally so open with the girls now about sexuality and he's in part of every discussion and he's not afraid to talk about it with them and i feel very strongly that both parents i mean whether it be two moms two dads whatever both parents need to talk about sex with their kids it's not a single sex conversation father son you know mother um daughter and and if you're in a single sex relationship that you have to find the opposite sex role models right. to the uncle the friend to uh, impart wisdom sexual wisdom because i believe it has to come from you know you have to give both perspectives on every topic what do you think the conversation between parents uh should look like or sound like when, well, before they go to the kid when they're trying to figure out what to go to the kid with well it's like okay let, we want to so we, if we want to talk let's say you want to talk about your kid 
your daughter is going to get her first period. Mm. You know, I think it's maybe makes sense for the mother to talk about how to use a tampon, mm. you know, but the father can talk about what it means to um, menstruate and means that you're now able to have a baby and what a gift that is, mm. you know? Well, what if like, say, you know, um, 16 year old daughter maybe wants to get her first vibrator, goes to mom's, I want to get vibrator. Maybe like one parent feels more prudish about that than the other. What should the conversation, because I assume they shouldn't battle that out in front of the kid. Mm. So like, what should that conversation between them be like when one maybe has a little bit more of a conservative approach? Well, I think that is a, that's more of a marital conversation about, you know, how do you want to raise your kids in terms of values? But one of them's got to, you know, I had a friend call me about that exact issue because I just hear a lot of sec- like in, like well-intentioned folks who just don't seem to know which when the age it feels like they want like a rule of like at these numbers. This is when we talk about these things. Yeah, I actually have that laid out in my yeah. book and I have a timeline okay. around it. But I definitely feel like there are certain conversations for certain ages, yeah. but it's so dependent on where your kid is. Like we all know that there's maybe the you're just saying yourself, you are not you know, at 13, 14, 15, even thinking about it. Right. Um, and there are kids like more on the spectrum who are like, maybe have autism spectrum or whatever, who are like way late bloomers or just Mm. kind of nerdier kids who are late bloomers. They may not be at all ready to have those kinds of conversations. And then there's the kids that are, you know, you know, by 12 or 13, better watch out. You know, they've got (laughs) boobs and they're like into boys or they're, you know, or they got boobs and whether or not they're into boys, the boys are going to be into that. Yeah. So those kids are like, you know, you want to move those conversations up. So I'm not saying there's a hard and fast rule, but you know, you got to be ready to do it and changing the timeline by those years, depending on where they're at. So I could talk more specifically about what you would say at each age range, and I'm happy to. But yeah, I mean, if you want to give some examples, I think that'd be really fascinating because, I, like I said, it's just there's a lot of, uh, you know, I I understand the sh- the parents who are instilling shame. I get more where that comes from, and then I think there's just a lot of people who feel like they want to do their best and they're just not sure. Clearly, they need the book, but uh, give them a taste. Yeah. Well, so like an eight, nine, or ten year old, you might start talking about okay what's on the media, like Mm -hmm. pornography, you know? And you might say things to an eight year, nine year old, like, I really don't want you to be watching um, people on TV or or on computer programs that are having sex. I don't feel like you're ready for that yet. Mm -hmm. I don't think it will help. I think it'll be really scary for you. So that's, that's the right conversation about pornography for that age. If you stumble. I'm sorry, where's the, where do you install, install the uh, fire and brimstone? Where (laughs) where does that go in? (laughs) No. But then that same conversation about pornography changes. And oh, and by the way, if you watch it accidentally, please let me know, you know, come to me and we'll talk about it. I'll help you process. You have questions. Yeah, I'll help you process. I won't be mad. Don't check Urban Dictionary. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Please come to me. You know, and obviously you should lock down a young child's technology Mm -hmm. as much as you can. Parental, whatever. Do you do do that? Yeah, Yeah. it's all locked down. And then, uh, but of course they... They can watch it anyway, right? We all know that. But um, it's fine if the kid can hack their way out of the stuff you set up because they're still learning a new thing. <laughs> they're learning how to computer the- program, like exactly. Russians. Someday, you know. That's fine, but at least make the effort to block some stuff. <laughs> yeah. Someday they're going to work as a computer program. Making I would have never dollars. learned about VPNs, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. if they had never installed the uh, printer. If your eight year old can set up a VPN, you know, great. You're going to be a billionaire. <laughs> like, um, they, should, they can watch all the porn they want. They earned it. Exactly. <laughs> um, but then 11, 12, 13 that discussion becomes different right because they're going to start to want to watch pornography and that's not abnormal but then it's like 12 13 which we know they are seeing it but like there's a you're saying there's a desire to see it of course i mean are you kidding um and i think by age 14 80 percent of teenagers have seen pornography so, you know, it's like you'd be stupid to think they weren't right so then it becomes more of a question of you know I'm not encouraging you to watch pornography if you're not ready, but when you feel you're ready to watch pornography, let's have, let's talk about it, A and B. It's very important that you become a discerning viewer of pornography because um, I've read some really scary studies about pornography addiction and how, what happens to the brain. And I'll explain to you the neuroscience if you'd like, Please. if you're interested. But the broad strokes is then they have serious sexual problems later on. Um, and, that's not where a young kid needs to start, right? 
they need to start with like, oh, their first kiss. Like, isn't this amazing? Like their first touch. Start and- with Titanic. Yeah, exactly. Start with that scene in Titanic. It's a good start. Yeah. It's PG-13. And I'm all for pornography use when you're, you know, older. But like, you can't start there. Yeah. You know? You can't you- start at double anal. Yes, exactly. Or whatever is going on. Because you're going to ruin their little brains. So it's like... um, so it's like, you know, you cannot unsee it. You tell them you can't unsee it once you see it. It's like watching a horror film and they can all relate to that. Um, you can't unsee it. It might really haunt you. Right. And so it's like, you know, let's talk about like what kind of pornography, if you really want to watch is appropriate. There's some literatica, like literature pornography. That would be great. That was my, that was my high school bookmark. Yeah, exactly. Like that might be more appropriate Mm -hmm. or uh, Erica Lust has a bunch of stuff that is like, you know, I think she made it under the like pornography made by moms, you know, like it's more like that kind of beautiful, easy pornography to start with. And I think, um, you know, I think that you can encourage your kid doesn't need that much at that age. Like they don't need all that stuff. Right. They got homework. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, not just that, but like, you know, teenage boys can get excited by anything. Like they don't need like a whole lot. They could just have a naked picture. It'd be enough. So it's like, um, you know, we really want them to start with that kind of stuff as parents and, you know, um, hope that we can preserve their innocence. Because believe it or not, I'm always trying to preserve kids' innocence. It sounds to me like, oh, my God, you're talking about teenagers watching pornography. I'm like... They're watching it anyway. I am just trying to get them to see that they don't need to watch, you know, what's free. What's free is like incredibly graphic and very, very nasty. And and most of it is violent and degradating to women. Um, And they don't realize that a lot of this consent is negotiated off stage. Right. Also talk about how your body as a teenager is not going to look like the body of a pornography star, how, you know, they already um, have been using uh, contraceptive devices or whatever off stage. It's all negotiated. They have already been tested. And so all the things that you don't realize is happening off screen. Do you support like parents... So getting like a a a what they view as an appropriate porn subscription for a kid, if they find like an Erica Lust and say, "Ooh, this is this is your site. Here's your login. You can digest anything on this site. I'm paying for it, and I think this is a healthy start." Is that something that you think is, or is that I a little mean, too line step? I see. I I have gone back and forth on this. I think if you know your child's already viewing pornography, that's the right call. And I don't think you have to pay for it. You can make them pay for it with their allowance or their whatever money. Like you don't necessarily need to be paying for their pornography, but you know, if they already have money that they've been earning, that's a useful, but if you know, they're already watching it, you keep catching them. Like, yeah, I think it is something to say. Like, I really think this is unhealthy for you. Let's negotiate a way to, you know, it's called risk reduction model. Like let's reduce your risk of seeing things that are going to be traumatizing. And um, the studies are now showing because of pornography, a lot of men are having a lot of problems with their relationships with erectile dysfunction, other things, because pornography is constantly having to be more and more novel in order to stimulate you. And they did a lot of studies on this with Timogen's birds and different things. And so um, the pornography industry keeps upping the ante in order to like keep people hooked. And, um, and it's getting to the point now where the you know it's just getting more and more outrageous and fringe, which is fine if that's what you're into, but it's causing a lot of problems for people um, as as time goes on. It's really the brain that changes itself. A book mm-hmm. uh, talks about this, and it's really it's really um, by Nor- Norman Dodge talks about this exact thing and how it kind of takes our brain hostage and makes it harder and harder and harder to have like normal sexual relationships if we watch a lot of pornography i'm not talking about a little bit yeah with with a parent who's say out there dating uh whether they're non-monogamous and are bringing additional partners in or they're a single parent who's off dating do you have any like guidelines for that on how they can introduce uh, partners or how they do things responsibly appropriately no yeah that's a good one um for any parent introducing a new partner, whether it be polyamorous or otherwise, I really rec- recommend that you, or not parent, new girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, new partner, um, I really recommend that you really take in consideration that your child wants to have a sense of control. So it'd be way better if they didn't like catch you, you know, sneaking the person around. Um, it would be great if you would say like, you know, this is a person I'm interested in romantically. Uh, they're going to come over. And then you allow your child to feel like they're a little bit in control of the situation. So 
when they walk in, oh, why don't you tell, you know, Bob here where they should sit at the table? Mm -hmm. Why don't you show Bob your room and your toys and your poster or your favorite blah, blah, blah. Why don't you play video game with Bob? And it's like, they get to say like, okay, like this is my house and this person's coming in and, and respecting me. Um, Meanwhile, but, this is like a six year old. Yeah. Right. Just because for me, it's really fun to imagine a six year old going, it's my house. Yeah. That's my juice. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, Bob, I want you to sit at this seat or let yeah. me show you my, you know, even if the person's been there a hundred times because you have, alternate you know you're sure. you know they can yeah. pretend they've never been there like it doesn't have to be like you know like, oh what oh is that where the bathroom yeah. is oh thank you for showing me i yeah. had no idea exactly because <laughs> you know it gives it gives your child a sense of like this isn't being thrust upon me i have something to say and this and it may even be good to meet in a neutral space like a park or a playground or a museum the first time you know depending because you don't want your kid to have this viscerally get their you know hairs on the back of their neck to stand up you know negative reaction to this new person so so you want to like break them in, you know, slowly with the messaging. And so that's how I recommend you do it. And on the flip side, and I have this question apparently from last time. And, and so I remember I was going into this, which was uh, now for teenagers on the flip side of that situation, where should your teens have sex if they're having sex? Yeah. And there, there's only one place, which is in your home. You know, teenagers don't have their own apartment. <laughs> and where, are they, where else are they going to have sex, right? Oh, gosh, for uh, just generations, they figured it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This field, that field. Yeah, exactly. The, you know, I mean, that's another common sense one, which is like, um, yeah, okay, back at the football stadium or, you know, at a party, someone else's party. First of all, you know, if you're doing it in a car or a stadium or, you know, a public place, there's risks of indecent exposure or getting in trouble with the law or getting suspended from school or, you know, getting kicked off your football team, all those things, you know, there are real risks, uh, legal and, you know, um, serious risks to that. If they're having sex at somebody else's house during a party where there's drinking, there's a chance they would be sexually assaulted. Um, somebody else would come in and, you know, it's a free for all. It's a gang bang. And your teenage daughter's in the middle of that. Um, I don't see any upsides to any of those situations for a parent. Um, there's really only one safe place and that's in your home and you need to provide that space. So whether that be in the basement or in the guest room or in the office. Um, or if you have a very small apartment, you do what you do in a dorm room, which is, you know, you go out for a little bit and you let them know when you're coming back. Um, I got to go out now. I'll be back in an hour. I'll text you before I, you know, I'll knock, I'll text, you know, cue them. Like I'm going to go pick up my medication. Yeah five pharmacies away yeah exactly i'm going to the far one i just yeah. feel like it yeah. probably take me i don't know about 80 minutes exactly. <laughs> because you know at the end of the day that's the only safe place and then you can make sure there's a ton of contraceptives available like you have the condoms right there now so what's the risk if you if you really put a foot down to like no sex in this house well i mean it's the same risk that every you know, everyone in our generation, it's, it's, you know, you just create the subversive lying teenagers. If you don't want your teenager to be a manipulative, lying, subversive teenager, then don't set those kinds of rules because that's exactly what you'll do. Yeah. Have you, you think you're going to prevent them from having sex? <laughs> Did they prevent you from having sex oh, yeah, when exactly. you were a kid, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> Of course not. You're just going to put them in a dangerous situation. Don't have ostrich syndrome. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And do you find that like you're having... I'm sorry. Remind me of the ages. I think you said one's like an eight-ish, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other one's like middle school age. Well, there's like the eight, nine, ten. Then there's like the tweens, eleven, twelve, oh, I thirteen. Meant like, I meant like, oh, sorry, your your kids. Oh, eight and eleven. Eight and eleven. Are you have you run into questions that you were kind of like unsure of, or are there questions that even though with all the training you've got, there you're still a little nervous about them eventually coming up? No, I don't. Yeah, they're good. I mean, they're. I no, I don't have any. You know, nothing really. I mean, lots of things throw me, meaning like as a parent, like I'm always surprised how quickly they grow up, um, but nothing that, you know, I couldn't answer yet. Sure. <laughs> we'll see. And then I think we alluded to this before. It's like you, you've got to be that mom at school. Like you are the one. For sure. And, and I got to imagine there are some parents who are not as thrilled sending their kid over to the sex therapist talking yeah, it's lady like that mo mom from sex education i don't know if you saw that show on netflix <laughs> oh my god i'm like i think i'm that mom and that probably makes you really happy You're like, <laughs> i'm that fucking mom 
But is that something like you kind of face in, 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 in your neck of the woods? Um, yeah, I, I live in a small town in which, you know, I'm the only psychiatrist in the town, child psychiatrist. So I'm sure that there's a lot of that. Um, but it doesn't matter to me because uh, I got to do me. You, you don't care what they think. I, yeah. I care, but I got to be me and that's it. So, you know, if they don't like me for it, I wouldn't have picked this field if I was scared of that. Hey, if they don't, if they don't like you for that, <laughs> they're probably having really bad sex. At all. Yeah, uh, exactly. They don't sound very fun. But on the flip side of that, they're similarly. I gotta imagine you're also that mom in the community that some people are like, "Can I come ask you a thing about the thing?" Yeah. Hey, what uh, happens if I put two? Can I put two in his? <sighs> yeah, you can. It's fine. I get asked uh, at least you know three or four times a week. Uh, get oh my gosh! Search. Yeah, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's unpaid labor. <laughs> I know. To the point where, you know, I, I have to laugh because uh, because it's so frequently frequent that I almost feel like I have a volunteer job. <laughs> How do you feel about that? I mean, it's a blessing and a curse, of course, but I'm happy to do it. I'm I'm a little bit of a sucker. I'm a little, you know, most of the time. So more of the time, it's more it's that than the other way around. I get curbsided all the time. Do you ever have to kind of go like, Ugh, I don't know if I want to give that like it does. It can be person dependent. Do you sometimes like I can ignore that text. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I really want to talk mm-hmm. to her about this. I mean, <laughs> most of the time I try to do it if I can. But, you know, if it gets too much, then I'll re- try to be like you need to actually seek, you know, professional help. Are they like kind of like low grade questions? Just like, oh, like, wh- what do I buy? Or oh my god, I can like, get, I get crazy questions. What, what are some good? What are some questions you get? Um, uh, what do you know? What do I do if my kid finds my sex? My kid found my sex toy. What do I do? My kid walked in with me having sex with like someone I just had a one night stand with. What do I do? I, my kid walk. Um, uh, I mean, so many things. My kids got an STD. How do I handle it? Or you know, everything you can imagine. I've been asked. Um, it's it, it, people think that you know. I'm, I guess because I'm a psychiatrist, I won't reveal their confidences, and I don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, I, I there is something about when you talk about sex openly on, especially on the internet. It's mm-hmm. like you just become that person for be- even people who you don't like really know. Yeah. Like, I mean, I get from like a, I'll have a kid from high school who. Mm-hmm bullied the shit out of me will be like yeah man like i think i might be bisexual and me and my girlfriend think about having a threesome so i can explore that do you have any tips i'll be like can you apologize for calling me those things before first can we just like quickly close that (laughs) um exactly and and it's uh and then also sometimes like i know i'm not in the mood to receive those questions sometimes i'm totally like Let's talk about, oh, yeah. oh, my God, you want questions about sex parties? I'm so happy and excited to share. But sometimes I'm like, I don't really want to. Do you ever get like, but yeah, do you ever just get like, I'm tired. I just had this many patients. Oh, You're yeah. the third person from the PTA to ask, <laughs> you know, this week. And I'm just like, today, I need to just sit with a glass of wine yeah. and watch Netflix. I don't need to, you know, get into this with you. Well, boundaries are important in my line of work in general. Yeah. Um, setting boundaries with patients and friends uh who asked me you know i feel so i feel like i am literally uh, famous like mick jagger you know sometimes <laughs> because uh, being the only psychiatrist in town and also having this media career uh, people could suck every moment of you know sometimes i feel like no autographs please you know <laughs> like i'm really busy right now no autographs i'm sorry you're gonna have to come back later and that to me is kind of wild you know also being 62 and a half everybody <laughs> knows me in this town like i walk down the street i hear my name called like 600 times you know and um and yeah it's 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 an uh, it's uh, it's an awesome gift i'm so freaking lucky beyond lucky to have this calling and to do what I do. Um, but yes, it is exhausting and uh, you know, people will suck the life out of me if I'm not careful. So I have to set boundaries. Yeah. And how, how do you do that? Do you just say like, Oh, I can't, I can't right now, you know, yeah. uh, you know, I'll give you an appointment time, like not an appointment. Actually, you know, I'll call you Tuesday at this time when I'm free. Not Cause like, I like hey, I'm to charging, but can we at least schedule <laughs> yes, this question? Exactly. You know, if it's a long question, you know, but like I've got time Tuesday at this time and I'll be happy to call you. Sometimes I get an Instagram, I'll get like an Instagram DM from a listener who wants to send me like a, a question or a story like mm-hmm. thing. And it's this long. I'm like, can you email this? Like, no. how's that for a boundary? I'm like, can we just put this where I can have all my fingers available to yeah. answer you? And now like with, I started an educational platform on, um, on, uh, mighty networks. Mm-hmm. And due to that, like I'm now trying to direct like people 
to that so they can ask me questions on that forum. So if it's not like a deeply personal question, I'll be like, why don't you ask it on my platform and I'll answer it because I'm trying to grow that platform. Dr. Lee, Elise, is there is there anything else you really you want to make sure people hear and know about, you know, sexual shame and, and preventing and help them prevent uh, instilling that in their kids before the, you depart? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think what I wanted people to know is that owning your sexual story and history, mm. even if it was bad, you know, there are terrible parts of it is such an important part to being a good parent and role model it because you can always find the pearl in every bad story you can always find a way to spin the story to make it rational positive healthy and when you do that you can be the role model your kid that they really need and that's what you need to do so you know own your own own your own own your stuff yeah own your shit everybody <laughs> Uh, and if you're not in therapy, go get in yeah, it. Yeah, go help get you know. Go explore more of my edu- you know, my platform and 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 read more about it and or find a therapist or just own it. And then you're gonna be the best thing you can be for your kid is a good role model. End Absolutely. of story. Absolutely. And where can people go to find you? Uh, I'll have a link in the show notes to the book. Great. Shameless Psychiatrist is my is uh, my website and that same on Instagram and also on my new platform. I would love you guys to join that, which is um, on Mighty Networks. And they can get a link to that on the on the website. Mm-hmm. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, uh, Leah, thank you so much for channeling. Thanks for uh, sharing this wonderful view. Uh, this is this is wonderful. And uh, why don't you go ahead and say goodbye so much to everybody? Fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was so much fun. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised I brought up that dad catching me masturbate story. I don't think I've really thought about that terribly often. And certainly I don't, I don't think I've brought it up here on the show or like on standup or anything. That's so funny. Uh, we'll see what those memories start to start to yield creatively. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Leah Liss. You can send me an email with your comments, your questions, your criticisms. I don't rip apart all the criticisms. I swear. I just, it was like, I didn't want to disagree with her opinion on Connell and dating coaches, but like, I did want to remind her, Hey, we were all massive idiots at one time, right? <laughs> Anyways, you can send me any and all that over to manwhorepod at gmail.com. If you want to chat with your fellow fan whores about this week's episode, as well as any of the episodes of the man Whore podcast, you really should come join us in the champagne room. The Champagne Room is a fun, sex-positive, supportive Discord server we've got going on. It's free for everyone to join, and you can join us at manwhorepod.com slash discord. And shout out to those of you who have uh, emailed to participate in our upcoming Pepsi Challenge for Couples. Ooh, uh, I'm so happy that we're already getting people filling in. I know I've got one couple lined up. If you are a couple and you'd like to participate in our... uh, our, we'll call it a Pepsi challenge of cocksucking, so to speak. If you think you know your significant other quite well, if you think you can uh, pick out your partner's blowjob skills out of a lineup, you should shoot me an email if you live in the, the general tri-state area. Manhorpod, gmail.com. We'd love to maybe make you two break up on mic. Hey, <laughs> um, folks, again, the best way you can support this podcast is by becoming a member on Patreon. Yes, just $2 a month lets you sleep securely knowing that good old Billy and Bushwick has got a roof over his head and condoms on his cock. Become a member today at patreon.com slash podcast. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-R. ON.com slash manwhore podcast. If you present fake vaccination cards at a vaccinated play party, you are a massive asshole. Just wanted to throw that out there. Stay slutty.